you been looking for a podcast about agriculture? One that can increase your farm's profitability all without putting you to sleep. To sleep. Welcome to Field Trials Unleashed. We're experts in testing different farming practices and products. We test it and then report back to real skinny. This is Field Trials Unleashed. And here are your hosts, Craig Bloemker and Eric Beckett. And we're back. We are back. Taking about a month off to do our jobs and uh, kill weeds. Yeah, <laughs> there's been a lot of focus on that lately. We've got five points of topic to talk about today, but first, if you haven't already, please subscribe and give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. And then also check us out on Twitter at Trials Unleashed. All right, topic number one possibility of a three-pass soybean program and i'm sure that's what every grower out there wants to hear i'm you know, just you know i brought this up last fall and nobody listened to me i listened to you but i didn't want to i didn't want to address it because that just means more money that i have to justify spending so hey just saying yeah but it is real yes it is very real and we're, we're moving our planting dates up three to four weeks or you know planting beans in april and there's just a lot of time that those rows are not closing and especially if you're on 30s i mean that's just a long time out there before the beans can get big enough to close in the rows and and as we've seen this year stuff did not grow real fast this spring because of the cold conditions and so there was a, a lot a lot problem. of a lot of times our pre's were running out and you know maybe we only maybe had like Say, I'm going to say maybe like V4 beans at the time, and then our pre's were running out. Well, and I abode by the protocols of spraying the second pass about three weeks after the first pass, regardless of soybean height or, or corn for that matter, but especially beans. And that may come back to haunt me, although I think I've got the water hemp and the grass is under control, but guess what's escaping now? You were moved everything up. The time frame has shifted three to four weeks. And now we're battling buttonweed, cockleburr, yep. some things that are usually very easy to control. And it still is. It just, again, may have to do a third pass. Yep. I mean, and, and the guys and the growers down in uh, Tennessee, they've kind of seen a similar thing, not the, the exact same weed spectrum, but they've actually seen a shift away from the palmer species, water hemp, palmer amaranth, all your amaranth species, you know, and and gone to more of a uh, jungle grasses, maybe their number one weed. So I, I, I don't know. I, we're not at the extreme of that, but, you know, we are starting to see a weed shift. Pays to keep in mind, and let's try to get ahead of the curve here again. So it, when we're talking about thir- a three-pass system, it would be tempting for growers to say, hey, why don't I just forget about my pre-emerge pass? I'll buy three weeks. You got to have a good foundation. I'm well, I agree. Say that right now. I, well, I agree, but I'm just I'm, let's go down the, the mindset here because I want to save a pass, right, Eric? So the mindset would be let's come in about three three weeks after planting and hit it with a early post-emerge with residual, and then if we have to come back with uh, more residual you know, that second pass, then three weeks after that. So that would be time. But I will say my only problem feels right now are the fields that we started clean, but because they got in a rush, planted, and then rain came, we couldn't get the pre-emerges on. And so now I have a mess that I have to deal with, and you have to kill it. And as we know, we're down to, at this point in time, we're down to Liberty and Roundup if you are Extend Flux. And if you're in List, you can still use the, the 2,4-D. But 
primarily we're extend flex here. So I have Liberty and Roundup and everything is always in short supply this year. So I don't want to go wasting my, my trips and not making them count, I guess, what I'm getting at. so Yeah, definitely. I mean, and with this three-pass program, I mean, if we're doing our jobs right, we may not end on that second. And now the third pass, I would just about have to be willing that you're going to have to you're gonna have to throw something in to control emerged weeds. But for that second pass, if we're doing our job right, I firmly believe that, you know, we all we need to do is maybe lay down another residual or residuals and, you know, and right there, that could be a, a potential cost savings right there for, you know, if, you know, we were to think about this overall three-pass program and it just, I, I think that might be an area that, you know, we might be able to save some money. And, you know, we were talking here offline that from these early planted soybeans, you know, we are seeing somewhere upwards of maybe 12 bushels per acre by planting early. And so, you know, you think of that additional income, you know, say if beans were $10, you know, selling price, and then you're getting picking up another ten, twelve dollars. You know, right there, that's an extra hundred to hundred twenty dollars of uh, you know additional income. And we're only asking you to maybe potentially spend another maybe twenty five to thirty dollars for that third pass. So I mean, you if are, it's just residuals. I would say probably twenty to twenty five. Yeah. So if it, yeah. So if it's just you know that second pass is just residuals. I mean, you're still look staying to make you know ninety. To seventy, you know, seventy to ninety dollars additional income in the acre, even if you have to put down that third pass. I just, I think that kind of the mindset is that we're having to add a third pass into status quo. Yeah, I agree. And that, you know, thinking here, the second pass, if it's just residuals, why could we not throw in something like, say, first rate? It is a little pricey, but. That might help keep down some of those weed spectrums that we're starting to see yeah. pop up. And then if there is anything that comes through these residuals, then we clean it up with the third and final pass. Yeah. And then not to mention, I think we kind of forget about the value of using, you know, herbicide like classic and, you know, maybe with our spring, um, you know, in a burn down fall or an early spring burn down, the value that classic could bring just not even the, you know, the large seed broadleaves, but also for our volunteer corn control. I think there's, you know, could also provide some real, because there is really, you know, classic carryover in corn is a very real thing. And I think, you know, if we would go back to using some of those chemistries, um, we, we could see some additional benefits than maybe just the obvious, especially like with classic. Let's continue on with the discussion of, of chemicals. The second thing I had in my list uh, was safe in products. So I had a grower call in. And just he's just doing a double check because his other retailer had had convinced him that safen products were for post applied on top of the crop, and that would stand. I mean, there are there are certain chemistries that there is safeners built in for post merge, and one is like a lot of the the SU chemistry that was from the old Dupont SU chemistry, and so they actually added a safener and made it like the Q, like accent Q. And that was, and maybe, I don't know, maybe the retailer got mixed up with some of that stuff. I don't know. But there are, you know, safeners that are built in for post-applied products. Well, in common sense, it would it would stand a reason, safe safe for the crop. Uh, yeah. And you would think, you know, post-emerge, putting it on top of the crop. It would make sense. But the safeners are generally for pre-emerge use. And I always think of like dual uh, being a safe product. We don't go out there and put Halix GT down pre-emerge as a typical program because it's it doesn't have the safe and products in it. And, you know, you could get away with it probably if you have the right growing conditions and, and the weather's right, but typically not something we recommend for, for good reasons. So 
pre-emerge, stick to the safe and products. Yeah. It'll save you some heartache of corn leafing out underground and everything like that. Yeah, and another good example of this has been kind of the, the rebirth of some of the harness max pro or the the harness products. Um, in particular, you know, harness now we're seeing a version of Tank Max with harness with uh, with mesotrine or better known as Callisto. And, um, you know, and so there again, like the comparison between degree extra and harness, harness max is that, you know, we're, or the harness extra is that, you know, the degree extra, the acetylchlor group 15 is micro encapsulated. It's safened where the old harness products were not safened. It was just straight acetylchlor. And that, you know, we would see tip, you know, year in, year out, you could see some acetylchlor injury. And so, you know, there again, that's another example of why safeners are built into pre's and are a very good thing and should be used. I, I personally, I don't like using unsafened like dual or acetylchlor. I just, I don't like, there's just, there's too much risk associated for, you know, for saving a couple bucks. We're talking offline about crop response and Probably one of the most common things I've got calls on this year was just crop response to or just our normal program. So I want to talk briefly about that just because we're on the topic of chemicals and, and safety and everything. But, you know, like the Liberty applications with the adjuvants, the AMS, everything we're putting into them, uh, you are seeing crop response this year. And, you know, we're trying to target those applications when it's hot and humid. And so I think that's amplifying the effects yeah, and it's been several weeks now, but I would say there, there when we really started getting hot and heavy spraying, post-spraying, there was about a 10-day window in there that I seen, especially for soybean applications. And I did see some things go on with corn, but um, with soybean applications, you know, we didn't have the waxy cuticle really established on, on the, you know, soybean leaves. Um, a lot of the plants, even corn and soybeans, nodes were getting stacked just because leaf-wise or growth stage-wise, the plant said it was a certain growth stage, but I, I, from what I've seen from now, from what I've seen and just reflecting on it and everything, a lot of those plants, you know, they might have said they were V5, but I think really they were like a V3 or V4 plant, just, you know, given everything that's been thrown at them. And so, you know, where I'm going with this is that there was that 10-day window, and if things were sprayed in that 10-day window um, when things were still cool, and then all of a sudden the heat turned on, we got heat, and then the plants start growing rapidly, and then all of a sudden then, you know, that, that all that herbicide had just been kind of sitting in that plant not really doing anything, and then all of a sudden everything, get, the light switch gets turned on. So the plant was having to, you know, pull double duty or even, you know, maybe sometimes triple duty depending on what had been done to that plant. But it was having to metabolize all these things all at once and then, all, and then on top of it grow. That's the reason why I that we've seen a lot of crop response to a lot of things that we typically don't see crop response from. Um, in corn, we've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of crop response from the HPPDs Group Twenty Seven. So products like Callisto, Lotus, um, those are a couple of really you know two common ones. And then there's tank mixes galore with those two products in it. But you know we would see a lot of bleaching. Um, the Enlist system, you know some of these new trait platforms, and then the the Extend platform is was was not. Didn't escape it either, but we we seen um, crop response to you know enlist applications and extend applications, and um, even you know if we were throwing group group fifteens in for our second pass residual, I seen a lot of drawstring effects from the group fifteens in soybeans, and and you had to did kind of had you had to look close and know that you could get that crop response or it could be easily misidentified as, you know, a growth regulator injury because those two injury symptoms at times can look very similar 
to one another. And then also, you know, not to pick on any one trait platform or, or chemistries, but, you know, when I seen um, things particularly like Enlist and Zidua paired up together, um, that really amplified things. And I seen a lot of leaf speckling from those, when those two herbicides were paired up. And that's a pretty, con- that's a pretty, pretty popular and very, and very good weed control, you know, kind of mixture. You know, you get a very nice residual low use rate. And then also um, with your Enlist, it's just, we seen a lot of leaf speckling with Enlist and, and unfortunately, as an industry, we're just not used to seeing dinged up crop when we spray our post-emergence and especially beans. We need to get pre, back to pre-1996 and get used to seeing dinged up wheat, you know, soybean fields when we spray them. And, you know, I, I've I just gotten to where this year, you know, when I'm talking with growers or talking with our operators or, you know, any folks that I come in contact with is, if we ain't dinging the crop, we ain't killing weeds, and that's just where we got to get to. That's the type of mindset we got to get into. That um, now, not maybe not necessarily so much in corn, but definitely soybeans. We need to get back to burning soybeans, and before we were going to really control some of these weed problems that we were facing, and not from drift. No, I, not from drift or from misapplications, but just intended applications. We'll save that for another episode, I think, but. Uh, I've learned, I had to dive into the operational side of things this year because we were having drift issues and came to find out it was, it was nozzle selection. And it was the right nozzle, just the wrong orifice size. So I guess keep in mind that, you know, we're planting these crops right up against each other. There are going to be instances of drift. Mine was uh, was overboard. It shouldn't have occurred that much out. But we fixed the problem. But, you know, there's going to be some injury potentially yeah. from like the halakes and the lotuses. And from everything I've seen, you know, we drifted out a little ways and I came back and those things are growing right out of it. It's not yeah. that big a deal. but Yeah, and I mean, and everybody's different and everybody has a different view on it. But I'm not saying it's right that anybody should get away with it, that, you know, we should just go out and get sloppy with our applications and just spray whenever, whatever wind conditions. But I would be willing to bet that probably seven to eight times out of ten, the crop is going to come out of it just fine. It's going to recover just fine. Quit looking at it every day and come back in two to three weeks, and that crop is going to look completely different. Now, can you tell that, you know, the crop maybe be stunted a little bit? But yes. But as a whole, do we want to do we want to control weeds, or do we want to have nice green fields with weeds? And, and I think that's that's the hard look that everybody needs to think about. Well, and I, I, I do empathize. You know, I don't want to see any crop injury either. But the, my point was that these crops are st- – right next to each other. I mean, there's like, you know, three or four inches in between corn and beans where there would typically be like a 30 inch bulk between the, between the two different crops. And typically if I did see any injury significantly, the first row was gone, which would have been in that, within that 30 inch bulk, it was gone because we were, you know, but conversely, there's not going to be a lot of weeds in between, in between those two yeah, crops. Those, those fence rows are going to be nice and clean this year. Yeah. Okay. Rant over. Let's go on to trial updates and we won't spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to let you talk briefly about, you know, some of the projects you've been doing and, you know, what you've been seeing. And then I'm going to finish up with NCJs. Yep. So some of our prior episodes, you, everybody heard us talk about some of the trials we were doing at the time for, you know, with pre-emerge applications with mainly with boron and zinc is what we did a lot of early this season. But since, since then, we've done... Um, you know, V5 fungicide applications in corn. Uh, we've even done some um, early fungicide applications in beans, just see what type of response we can get from that. Uh, we've continued on with looking at boron in crop, along with some other micronutrients. Um, 
And then, you know, this year, because of a lot of, um, you know, we had soil mineralization deficiencies from nitrogen and sulfur this year, uh, we kind of took advantage of some of those scenarios and we did we, we did quite a bit of work with some of our with our full size equipment and looked at you know either AMS on soybeans um, AMS on corn or soybeans and then looked at adding either um, iron or uh, boron through that through our wolf tracks technology that we have access to and then even in corn then we looked at you know uh, top dressing corn and then adding you know boron maybe to that uh, urea so we took advantage of some of those scenarios and then um, I know Craig, you've got your whole host of NCGA entries that are showing you know showing some nice crop response. If nothing else, just on your field health imagery maps. Yep. Um, so those are a lot of the things we're looking at. And then we've even we're kind of playing around with maybe some other micros that are you know I think that are maybe starting kind of show a theme on some of our soil tests. You know we're 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 continuing to look at tissue and soil tests to really to be our guide and not just put things out there haphazardously or you know just throw a cocktail mix out there and say that you know we got a response to boron when there was maybe other things that are in the that cocktail mix that we might be getting a, a crop response from. I think one of the most important things is stay grounded on it's not about the products it's about the solution. So we talk about boron as a solution to boron deficiencies. Yeah. And we don't talk about hydrite boron. We don't talk about Brant boron. Uh, there was an incident this year where we just got kind of lost in the weeds of uh, talking about products. Yeah, and, product A to product B, and it wasn't even a fair comparison. Right, right. But just keep that in mind. We're not we're not comparing product. We just want solutions and whatever one works for, you know, the grower's operation, and, and that's what we go with. But as, as Eric mentioned earlier about the NCGA entries, there have been some noticeable differences and I've been pretty stoked to be, you know, watching these things. And uh, the field health maps were very in- indicative of where the treatments were. There was nice green, dark blocks out there where the treatments were applied. And so I'll just do a quick overview of what we've done. Um, we had our pre-plant nitrogen already down and our fertilizer for just standard production. And then I came back with some extra nitrogen with 32, some zinc, a shot of ATS and a micro ahead of the crop and then I, I was going to do two passes um, post before we got to the fungicide timing i ended up just because of time's sake and just trying to be efficient combining those two passes so we ended up doing a full rate of fungicide with an insecticide and this occurred around v7 v8 and then i added in a product called k micro which gave it some micronutrients and then a good healthy dose of, of foliar potassium and then also added in another shot of boron. So that's where I stand today, uh, awaiting tassel time so we can get ready to, for the second fungicide. And then depending on how the season's going, we may even do a third pass of fungicide. And I know that's not up to IPM standards, but we are chasing high yield on a limited amount of acres. So don't hold that against me. Yeah, definitely. And since uh, Craig, there's been kind of a common theme here talking about fungicides. Um, you know, we're, it is getting, you know, the 4th of July is just around the corner and the old saying knee high by the 4th of July, well, that that's no longer the old adage of anymore. I mean, it's tassel by the 4th of July anymore. So um, I know it's on Craig and I's, you know, on the back of our minds that something's going to be happening real quick is fungicide applications. And so, you know, with, you know, in agriculture, you can't, you can't have a conversation without talking about weather. And with all the, uh, the recent weather events that we've had, the cool weather, or not necessarily cool weather, but the wet weather we've had, and then 
we may get into some cooler weather later this week, but um, you know that that's going to particularly be you know put potentially be setting up the disease triangle for us to get some you know diseases coming in. So next week we are going to talk about the importance of fungicide applications. Uh, what type of maybe on-farm discovery opportunities besides the obvious treated and untreated fungicide applications you can make for non-farm discovery. Uh, but really, we're going to dive in, talk to, you know, maybe what type of diseases might be out there that we need to be targeting and then the overall uh, health benefits of the crop that from fungicide applications. You've been listening to Field Trials Unleashed. Agronomic trials, products, practices, what makes sense for you and your farm's profitability. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information. Make sure to like, rate, and review and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, follow Craig and Eric on Twitter at Trials Unleashed. From there, you can get agronomic updates and submit questions for future shows. See you next time.